<laughs> well, just in case. Uh, <laughs> well, as Michael said, we're going to uh, we're starting a little series on one Thessalonians this evening, and uh, we'll continue over the next few weeks looking at one Thessalonians. So, in your in your free time uh, or in your quiet time, maybe worth having a read through one Thessalonians over the next week or so, and uh, just get that under your belt, which is it's a great book. And we're going to look further into it this evening. Before I go any further, let me just uh, pray and we'll dive in. Gracious Lord, we do thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you for the gift of your spirit. And we thank you that you speak to our hearts. We thank you that you challenge us, encourage us, that you care for us. And we know that through your spirit's active work in our hearts, Lord. So we pray that we may be attentive to what you have to speak, have to say to us this evening in Jesus' name. Amen. Question. Who is this? Please, man, somebody who wasn't there this morning, you've, you've been through this. Who's this? Do we know who this is? Ash Barty, that's right. So we've got a cricket player, a tennis player, and what about this guy? Anyone know who that is? Donald Trump, awesome Mitchell. Okay, what about this one? This is uh, Kim Jong-un, uh, Donald Trump's uh, friend and little rocket man, as he's known. And how about close to home? Who's this guy? ScoMo. Getting a reputation with that uh, nickname, isn't he? Scott Morrison, our Prime Minister. And let's bring it even close to home. How about this fellow? Anyone know who that is? The Archbishop of Sydney, Glenn Davies. And uh, you might pray for Glenn if you remember him. He's retiring officially in a couple of months' time. And uh, the Synod will be electing, will then have to elect a new Archbishop. So, uh, time of change for our diocese, or our diocese and leadership. But the question I want to ask you is what do all these people have in common? They're all famous, they're all well known. They, are, they all have a reputation. <clears throat> they all have a reputation. Now, people gain a reputation for a variety of things. Some people gain a reputation for taking a stand, for standing up for a cause, whether it might be a political or a social or environmental cause. Other people gain a reputation for being good at something, such as in sport or politics uh, or science or the arts. Sorry, politics. In other cases, people gain a not-so-good reputation and they gain a bad reputation for doing or being something bad. The thing about reputation is that you are known for something. And I want to just uh, ask that question tonight. What is our reputation? What are we as a church known for? And I guess pushing a little bit further personally, what is your, reputa- your reputation How do people know you? What reputation do you have amongst your family, your friends, your work colleagues, schoolmates? But in particular, I just want to zero in on our reputation as a church. And to do that, I want to jump back 2,000 years to look at the reputation of the church in Thessalonica. 
because we find there the people there had made quite an impression on their community. In fact, their reputation had spread far beyond their city. Now, just as a little bit of set the scene, Thessalonica is in the northern part of modern-day Greece, where that blue arrow is up in the top left-hand corner. And the map shows Paul's second missionary journey, which I'll mention in a minute. Uh, and just as a side note, you might also note towards uh, the top of the screen is Macedonia. And then we have Greece to the uh, left. <laughs> and Achaia, which is in the southern part of modern-day Greece. So Macedonia and Achaia are mentioned in this passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Now, the church at Thessalonica began when Paul visited the city during the second missionary journey about AD 50. And we read about that uh, visit in Acts chapter 17, verses 1 to 9. And we find that as, as that was his practice when Paul visited a new place, he first visited the Jewish synagogue. And we read when he visited Thessalonica, he spent over three weeks in the synagogue, where he reasoned with the people there from the scriptures. You know, Paul always based his um, discussions with the Jews from the word of God, the scriptures. That was his starting point. And through the scriptures, he explained and proved that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. Now, a number of people there, a number of the Jewish people, believed Paul's message. And they included a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. But as often happened, other Jews became jealous and threatened by this new message. And so they rounded up a mob and they intended to drag Paul and Silas out before the city officials in the, in the public square where they wanted to accuse them of defying Caesar's decrees and claiming that there was another king. That is King Jesus. But thankfully, Paul and Silas were tucked away by the believers there and they couldn't be found. And they were able to leave the city later that night and continue on their journey. <clears throat> now, about a year later, Paul wrote this letter to this church in Thessalonica. And Paul begins his letter with a thanksgiving for this young, growing and thriving community of Christian believers. It's interesting that Paul only stayed a relatively short time there, but he left behind a very committed group of people who believed in Jesus as their Lord. So when Paul wrote this letter, the Thessalonian church was growing rapidly despite opposition from some of the Jews and persecution from the pagan authorities. They were actually doing it tough, but in spite of that, they were growing. And not only that, reading through chapter 1, we get the impression that the Thessalonian church was gaining a reputation, not only in the city, but in the surrounding provinces as well. And Paul notes in verse 8, and he says, With great enthusiasm, the Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia, and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Now, the words Paul uses there, the message rang out, the Lord's message rang out, the gospel message rang out. It's like having a great big bell and just chiming it and for everybody to hear. And Paul's really excited about this. 
He was really encouraged to hear how this message was going out throughout all this area in which he'd only spent a very brief time in. And people were talking and reports filtered back to Paul about how the Thessalonian believers turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Verse 9. Furthermore, just as they followed Paul's example in living a godly life, they in turn became models for others to follow. He says in verse 6, You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. As I said, for many believers, this was no easy thing to do. Many experienced um, persecution and they suffered for what they believed in. But their steadfast commitment to Jesus stood out from those around them. And they quickly gained a reputation because, and, and they made an impression on people. Their lives had changed. It was noticed. They gained a reputation and people talked. So how did this all come about? Well, just backtracking a little bit, Paul says in verse 5, Our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. Note that Paul says that our gospel came to you. It was a shared thing. It did not come, also it did not come by itself. It was brought by Paul and Silas and Timothy. And so the church came into being as a direct result of the gospel being preached, of the gospel being proclaimed, the gospel being shared. It came through the spoken word. But not only that, it came with the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit was working in the hearts and minds of people who were hearing those words. So it's worth pointing out that we are also encouraged to share the gospel, share the message, share the good news. But we're simply the messengers. We're the carriers of the good news. It's up to God to convert people. But Paul adds that the gospel message was preached and shared with great conviction. You know, if we are to share what we believe... We must be absolutely convinced of what we are talking about. We must believe the truth of the gospel with absolute certainty. Because if we doubt its truthfulness or we doubt God's ability to keep his promises, then this becomes all too apparent to our listeners. Paul then tells us in verse 6 that the Thessalonians welcomed the message despite the Thessalonians experiencing hostility and opposition. They welcomed the gospel. And how do they welcome the gospel? They welcome the gospel with joy given by the Holy Spirit. Joy. This is a deep sense of um, joy. I can't even know the word. It's not just a happy thing. It's a deeper joy that's given by the Holy Spirit. It's a fruit of the Spirit. And it's interesting to note that wherever the gospel goes, wherever people respond, there is joy. It's the outcome of people believing in Jesus. And then you'll find that there is joy in heaven amongst the angels when people give their lives to the Lord. And there's joy on earth among the people of God. 
not only that, but Paul says they became imitators of us. They began to follow the example as well as the teaching of the apostles and so of Jesus. There was a profound change or transformation in their lives. You see, receiving the gospel is not just a mere intellectual belief in the, in the truth of the gospel. It doesn't stay there. It, goes, it has to go into the heart. And that will produce a complete transformation of behaviour because we develop, then move into having a close following, sorry, a close relationship with Jesus. Our lives change and we want to follow the example of Jesus and the apostles. And so that was, that was the process. The gospel was preached, it was welcomed by people, it was received by people, and it produced life-changing, um, dramatic life-changing changes in their, in their lives. And they began to follow the example as taught by Paul and um, the example of Jesus. And so a new church was born. They became a community of people who were bound together by a common relationship with Jesus. And Paul notes that this community of believers were distinguished by three things, faith, hope and love. He says, verse 3, Remember before God, our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labour prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Faith, hope and love. These are sure evidences of a Christian conversion. And each of these characteristics have concrete, practical results. They just don't stay up there as hairy-fairy concepts or ideas. There's an outworking, a practical outworking of each. For example, a, a true faith in God leads us to doing good works. And without works, faith is dead. Not the other way around. Works don't produce faith. It's because we place our faith in Jesus and appreciation of him coming to earth and dying in our place. And our faith says, thank you, Lord. How can I, what can I do to please you? We, we're doers. We want to do stuff. And so we seek to do what Paul refers to as good works. And then a true love for people leads us to serve them. Otherwise it degenerates into a mere sentimentality. If we love people sincerely, we have a heart of compassion for them. We seek to care for people, to encourage them, to build them up, to look after them when they're hurting and in need. That's love in action, practical love. And finally, a true hope. Now the hope we're talking about is a hope that's looking expectantly to Jesus' return. But the hope, our Christian hope, is our hope of spending an eternity in heaven with our Lord. Now this is God's promise to us. And we have that hope as a sure and fixed hope set before us. And we keep that before us 
No matter what life serves up to us, the hardships, the pain, the suffering, the sickness, the opposition, the persecution, whatever, but we still have that sure and certain hope before us, the promise of God that he will take us to be with him forever. Now these, these characteristics are embodied in our church's mission to live new life. You'll see it on the poster over there where we want to become faithful, adventurous, compassionate and enduring disciples, or as Stuart calls us, apprentices to Jesus. Faithful, adventurous, compassionate and enduring. It's all there. <laughs> Comes straight out of 1 Thessalonians. This is the people we want to become as a church. And so Paul writes, and so, where are we? Here we go. Faithful, adventurous, compassionate and enduring. Paul goes on to say, <clears throat> You became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The imitators in their turn were imitated. They in turn became models of Christian behaviour to other people. Their behaviour, the way they acted, the way they spoke, the way they responded became infectious. It was contagious as other people received the gospel from them. And it seems this community of Christian believers in Thessalonica were having quite an impact. Not only were they excitedly telling people about Jesus, but their transformed lives also became a talking point. And not just in Thessalonica, as I said, but throughout the surrounding regions. And Paul tells us in verses 8 to 10, almost summarises what happened to them. It's worth just looking at briefly. He said they turned from worshipping inanimate false idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven. Now the idols of Paul's day had a powerful and pervasive influence over people and it was difficult and at times risky to break free. But bringing it back to the present, even today we have, we might say, more sophisticated idols around us. The idols of modern secular society are equally powerful, as powerful as the idols, the stone and wooden idols 2,000 years ago. And for example, some people are consumed with selfish ambition for money or power or fame. Others may be obsessed with their work or with sport or television or perhaps they become infatuated with a person or addicted to food, or alcohol, or drugs. Paul says later that both immorality and greed are also forms of idolatry, because they demand an allegiance which is due to God alone. But the effect of the gospel is to liberate people from these bondages and addictions. Their lives changed, and the effect is very obvious to all who know them. So coming back to our original question, how will our church be known? What will our reputation be as a church? Will our members reflect our vision to see new life come to every home in Oran Park and the growing southwest for their salvation, the good of the community and the glory of God? Yes, we have the gospel. We know it, we are taught it, we say we believe it. But are we convinced by it? Are we convinced by its truth? 
And are we so sure that it is the way of salvation and that the conviction and joy in our voices and in our faces shines through to other people as we share what we believe? Are we as ready to share our holiday experiences with other people as we are to share our relationship with God? Everybody heard about this new community which had come into being in Thessalonica. They heard about its bold rejection of idolatry. They heard, they saw the joy in the hearts of people in the midst of opposition and persecution. They noticed the transformed values of people. They noticed their faith and their love and their compassion. People were so impressed by what they heard that many must have come to see for themselves. And then they were convinced, not just by what they heard, but what they saw with their own eyes. We need to look like what we're talking about. It's not enough to receive the gospel and just pass it on. We must embody it in our common life of faith, of love, of joy, of peace and of hope. And I pray that we too may, like the Thessalonian church, have a reputation for being faithful, adventurous, compassionate and enduring and that we may be a people passionately committed to seeing Jesus come to every home in, the, in Oran Park and in the growing southwest. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this example of this uh, early church. We thank you for the growth of that church. And as we look to our own situation, we thank you for the growth of this church in this area. We pray, Lord, that we may take to heart uh, <clears throat> these characteristics, these qualities which shine through us and appeal to people round about. May we have an, a reputation for being faithful, adventurous, compassionate and enduring disciples of you. Lord, we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit who gives us the power and enables us to become more and more like our Lord Jesus. Our Father, we pray in this coming year that we may faithfully serve you in all that we do and say. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Oh, we've got Q&A. Questions? <laughs> oh, Steve. Steve never lets us down with a question. Shouldn't say that, should I, mate? <clears throat> Look, I'm just uh, interested in the uh, joy and the Holy Spirit mentioned yep. in uh, verse 6. This whole passage I have a great affection for. But I think uh, many of us as believers walk around as joyless uh, Christians uh, because we mm -hmm. don't understand what this joy is. Uh, we we uh, uh, don't um, embrace the experience that God wants to give us mm -hmm. and uh, I just wondered uh, I know you are lost for words and I understand that because it is a it, it certainly isn't the froth and bubble or the the word happiness it's it's a, a, a deep uh, attitude as you said and so on but have you got anything else or maybe a couple of passages uh, that you could point us to um, yeah yeah um, look I think the 
in some ways, words related to joy in that context are uh, peace, contentment. Now, that, that's sort of getting to, to a deep sense of rightness with God. And once we have that relationship with God, we appreciate and, and we, we know God is going to look after us. He'll supply our needs, not just our wants. He'll supply our needs. And if we can rest content in that, then that peace leads to a, a life of joy in him. We, we, um, it, it's, it's like when you spend time with somebody you love. There is that, that joy in spending time with them. When you have that close relationship with somebody, uh, there's that joy in just being in their presence, assuming it's a good relationship. I think your point about a lot of Christians are um, joyless, mm. that grieves me. <laughs> it's true, but it grieves me mm. because it's a denial of what God's given us. And if you're finding yourselves in that situation, um, and put it bluntly, you really need to confess that to God because you're not allowing him to have uh, a place or an impact in your life. You're not allowing the Holy Spirit to actually work in your life to produce that sense of contentment and joy. And it's a step of faith. It's not easy. I can say it pretty easily up here, but it is a difficult thing to do. It can take a long time to get to that point. But we need to be working on that to seek that contentment. And I think it really came home to me when we travelled overseas and we, we sat in the houses of people who had almost nothing. Well, these beautiful Christian believers, there was a sense of contentment and peace with God. And I just sat there that you guys t- can teach us so much about being content in God when you've got, well, compared to us, virtually nothing. But it, it was a lesson to me that God does supply our needs and there is peace in knowing him despite what our circumstances are. Did that kind of address... Yeah, look, as you were talking, I was thinking of uh, three passages came to mind. Go for it, mate. The end of Preach Habak- it, brother. You want to no, no, just the end of Habakkuk. Uh, the people of Israel have been decimated. There's only 10% left. The whole place mm-hmm. is wiped out. No crops, no uh, livestock, etc. And they say, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Mm-hmm. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. Mm. And, then, and then, you know, you've got that. Same, and then the words of Jesus, uh, these are things I've spoken to you, all these promises that my joy may be in you mm. and uh, that your joy may be full. So his longing for us is that we be joyful. And then, of course, mm. Paul Rejoice in the Lord always. always. Again, I say rejoice. rejoice. Yeah. And so, it's um, God's heart's desire for us Yeah, to be joyful. Yeah. And, yeah. That, and that doesn't necessarily mean we'll have the smile mm. on our face all the time. Correct. Um, but it means, uh, yeah, that deep sense of God's in control. Mm. I can be content um, with the situation, with the adversity, with the difficulties, mm. as I trust in him because yeah. I know... He will always come through for me. He will never do what's wrong. Mm. He'll always do what's right. Anyway, thanks Spot for on. listening. Thanks, Steve. No. Anyone else? Nope. Okay, I'll make it here. <laughs> Michael, over to you.